on change, that your purpose will always be accomplished, that your promises will never fail, that you are trustworthy, that we can rely upon you. Father, there are times in our lives when we believe that, or we say that we do, and there are other times when we are forced to demonstrate that by our actions, times when our faith is tested. And I pray this morning as you open your word to us that we would be able to see what it is that you are saying to us, where it is that you are pushing us, where it is that we must rely upon you to follow through and to fulfill your word when we come up short. That's what you want more than all, Lord Father. We know that your word says that without faith it is impossible to please you. So we pray that you will strengthen our faith today as we come before you, as we seek to learn from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. Everybody here knows what a test is, right? Raise your hand if you know what a test is. Yeah? Okay. Some of you look a little confused. I know it's still only 10.30 in the morning. I don't know how long it takes for things to loosen up, you know, between the ears. But So the purpose of any test is to see if you have mastered the relevant material, right? You have a certain amount of information that you need to take in, that you need to learn, process, understand. And the test is to see if you really do. I can remember all the way back, way, 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 way back, 45 years ago, when I was in elementary school, we had these things that I absolutely hated with a passion. We called them speed drills. Is that a universal thing? You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know if it was just what we called them or what, but these speed drills we had, there would be a hundred math facts on a sheet of paper. You know, when you're in third or fourth grade and you're learning your multiplication tables, you know, three times seven is, four times nine is, and so on. And there'd be a hundred of them on this sheet of paper. And when we did it, we had two minutes to finish it. And I can remember being so nervous the night before, knowing that the next day was speed drill day. I hated those things. I thought I knew the math facts. But when it came time to do it that fast, sometimes I didn't do very well. And I was terrified of those tests. When I was 16 years old, I took my driving test. Once again, terrified. (laughs) I had studied. I had practiced. I'd been on the road with my dad in our car and in his truck. But then I had to prove it. Now, as fate would have it, I lived in New Brunswick at the time, and it was February, and it was an absolutely horrible day, four inches of snow and slush, and you might think, what an awful time to take your driver's test. No, it turned out it was a wonderful time to take it because he cut it short because the roads were so bad. And we pulled back into the little place where we had to parallel park, which I was most nervous about, and he looked at me and he goes, Bah, we don't need to bother with that. And took me inside and signed me right up for my license. 
I was so happy because I didn't know if I could pass that test or not. I can parallel park now, have no fear. But I don't know if I could have done it then or not. I mean, we face all kinds of tests in our lives. And as we get a little bit older, and as you know, not every test takes place in a classroom with a piece of paper. There are other kinds of tests. And one of those tests that we face often are tests of our faith. Events or circumstances that God allows in our lives to see if we've mastered the material. What is the material in a test of faith? The material is what we say that we believe about God. When we face a test of our faith, we have to take what we say we believe about God and actually put it into practice and find out if it's just what we say or if it's what we actually do, if it's what we actually believe enough to live it out. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in Genesis 22. If you have your Bibles, you can join me there. We're going to read about a test of faith. Now, the last two weeks we've been talking about Abraham. Pastor Tim has talked about Abraham. And we've seen that God called him out of a pagan background. We know that Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. God calls him out of that background. He calls him to be faithful. He calls him to be an advocate. And with that calling came a set of promises from God. God said, Abraham, look, this is what I'm going to do for you. I am going to make your family great. In fact, he said, I'm going to make your family number like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. That's how many family members I'm going to give you. That's how I'm going to grow your family. And not only that, Abraham, but I'm going to use your family to bless the entire world. I don't really think Abraham knew exactly what that meant in the moment. We know, looking back, that God was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who would come from Abraham's family and provide salvation for all who would believe. Now, we know that Abraham responded to that calling By believing what God said. Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abraham believed and God considered him righteous because of his belief. Now that faith is going to be tested. And as we look look at this story about Abraham's faith, we're going to learn something about our own. And I want you to file this away if you can. If you take notes, this is something to write down. If you don't, then you just have to lock it in by the sheer power and intellect of your mind. Everybody scrambles for paper. This is what I want you to be thinking about. The extent of our sacrifice reflects the depth of our faith. Did you get that? The extent of our sacrifice reflects the depth of our faith. I want you to bear that in mind as we process what happens to Abraham because some of you know this story. You know what I'm going to read in a few minutes and some of you may not. And if you don't, it's going to blow your mind when I read this. What God did to test Abraham's faith. But I want you to think about that as we walk through it because we're going to revisit that shortly. The extent of our sacrifice reflects the depth of our faith. Now let's start in Genesis 22, in verse 1, and there we read, After these things, 
God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible and I open it up to Genesis 22.1, and it says, after these things, my first thought is what? What things? After what things? And so we go back and we find out that from chapter 12 to chapter 22, (laughs) a lot of things happened to Abraham. A few of them we've talked about the last couple of weeks with Pastor Tim, and some of them we haven't because of time, but, but really a lot has happened to Abraham, and if we look at them in light of what is going to happen here in Genesis 22, what we see is this, a lot of these have been tests of faith. <laughs> We're going to read about here in this chapter is not the first time Abraham's faith has been tested. In fact, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, God calls Abraham, God just comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, leave your homeland, and I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. God didn't even tell him where he was going. He said, I'll show you. I want you to go. Pack it up and let's start moving. And then I'll show you where to go. That was a test of faith, wasn't it? And Abraham passed that test. He said, okay. And he loaded the donkeys and he strapped up the camels and he packed up the tents and they headed out. After that, God said, I promise that I'm going to give you a son. Abraham's, you know, he's not young, young, but for the time period, he's not an old man. And he's married. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. No, that's a test of faith, which Abraham passed. I believe that God is going to give me a son. But it wasn't a real difficult test. Why? I'm trying to encourage you to think this morning. Why? Because Abraham is a vibrant man and he's married. Okay. When a man and a woman love each other and they get married, right? So it was a test of his faith. God promised you to have a son, but you know. Okay, I can see how this would happen. Thank you, God. That's great. I trust you. I believe that you're going to do that. There was another test, right? They were traveling. They come to Abimelech in his kingdom. Sarah is Abraham's wife. She's very attractive. Abraham is afraid they're going to to get his wife. So he says, pretend you're my sister. Because I want us to be safe. I'm afraid they'll kill me if they know that I'm your husband. He failed that test, didn't he? God would have protected him. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use your family to bless the whole world. So he failed that test. Then there was a test of waiting for the son. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you the son. But then he had to wait for the son. And what happened? Well... Sarah couldn't have children. They had been married. Genesis 16 tells us they had been married for 10 years and no children. Their faith is being what? Tested. Sarah looks at that situation and says, this is not good. We're supposed to have this massive family and I can't have children. So what does Sarah do? Sarah goes to her husband and she says, 
here is my maidservant. She is young. She is healthy. I want you to have a child with her so that we can keep God's promise. She didn't say that, did she? But that's what she was thinking, wasn't it? She was saying, God gave us his promise. He's not keeping his promise, so I guess I got to keep it for him. Unless we get too judgmental about Sarah and say, well, how in the world would you find another woman and give her to your husband so that he can have a child? That's absolutely ridiculous. I would never do that. How many times do you step in in your effort to do what you know God has already promised that he is going to do? You do it. I know you do. We all do. We look at what God has said. We look at the time that has passed and we say what? I better get busy and make this happen myself because God doesn't seem to be doing what he said he was going to do. He failed that test. Well, there were many, many more and if we had time we'd talk about them all but suffice it to say that some of Abraham's tests of faith he passed and some of them he failed but what we're going to see here is that Abraham's faith is growing stronger through these difficulties as time passes, as he sees God work and provide. And we know that because he's going to face the biggest test of all. And I want us to look at it and see how he responds. Genesis 22 verse 2. He, that is God, said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. No, you didn't mishear me. What does it say? Take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. So when we're looking at these passages, we really have to try and inject ourselves into them, put ourselves in the spot so that we can really understand what's happening here. So God gives Abraham this promise in Genesis 12, go out, I'll show you the place, make your family great, give you a son, bless the whole world, whatever. They go through all of this that I've just described for you, all of these tests, all of these difficulties, some victories, some defeats, finally... If we put all the math together, Abraham has probably waited about 25 years for Isaac to be born. Abraham was 75 when God gave him the promise and told him to head off. He's probably about 100 years old when Isaac is born. So Isaac's birth is a miracle. It's a miracle. How do we know that? Hebrews 11, when it describes the circumstances around Isaac's birth, says with Sarah, who we already know had gone years and years and years without having children at all, so she believed that she was barren. Not only that, Hebrews 11 says that by the time Isaac was born, she ceased to be of the age to conceive a child. She was too old. Even if she hadn't been barren, she was too old. And Moses, I love this. It's in there, Hebrews 11. Look at it later on your own time. Don't turn there now. Pay attention. But if you go there, I'm not making this up. Do you know how Hebrews describes Abraham when Isaac was born? It says he was, get this, as good as dead. Now, I mean, that's a little insulting to Abraham, I guess. But that's what it says. Abraham was as good as dead. 
And God finally gave him a son. His birth was a miracle. Can you imagine Sarah, who had been barren for decades and was long past the time when she could have children, and Abraham, who had lived so much life, apparently he was as good as dead. And can you imagine one day Abraham sitting outside the tent flap, sipping his tea, and Sarah comes out and she says, <clears throat> Abraham, I've got something to tell you. I think we're having a baby. It was a miracle. And so they go through all of this, and Isaac is growing up, and he's a strapping young kid, and they're thinking, this is the promise. This is it. God said that our family was going to be great. He's given us this wonderful son. He's growing up to be strong and healthy. When he is old enough, we'll find him a wife, and this is it. This is the beginning of our family. And in that setting, God says, Abraham, go take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. Why would God ask this? I mean, we have so many questions. What does this mean? Does God condone child sacrifice? Let's get all the information here and we'll figure it out. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. They're just, I, I could, seriously, I won't do what I promised, but I could talk for hours about this. There is so much in here. But notice how Abraham responds. He responds promptly. He rises early. He gathers everything that he needs and he prepares to head out. I want you to understand this because this doesn't come out of the blue here. This is not Abraham's first encounter with God. His relationship with God has grown over 25, 35, 40 years of interacting with God. I'm sure he didn't expect this command from God, but he knew God at this point. And he knew that God had given him the Son as a fulfillment of his promise. And on some level, he knew that God was good and trustworthy. So what does he say? Let's go, guys. Takes a couple of servants with him. They get out a certain ways. And then what does he say? He said, you guys wait here. The boy and I will go and worship and come back. Abraham's already demonstrating some faith. We're going to go over there, and then we'll come back. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went together. And Isaac said to, the father, to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This is happening. I want you to notice a few things that are very relevant here. First of all, you don't know this because you haven't crunched all the numbers, but Abraham, or Isaac is not a little boy anymore at this point. It's not like Isaac is two or three years old. He's a young man. He's at least old enough to care for himself on a three-day trip. He's at least old enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice on his back. And he's old enough to figure out that they're missing something if they're going to go and worship and offer a sacrifice. What does that tell us? It tells us many things. It tells us Isaac understood the process. It tells us that Abraham was living out his faith before his son. This was not the first time he and his dad had gone to worship God together. Loading up the wood on his back, right? Got the big bundle, you know, campfire wood by the side of the road, five bucks. He's got a couple of those on his back. His dad's got the torch and the knife. Uh, Dad? Yes, son. Aren't we missing something? Where's the lamb? Don't worry, son. God will provide. Now, Isaac has some faith here, too. I feel like I'm talking a lot about numbers here this morning, but... Abraham is 115 or 120 years old at this point. Isaac is probably somewhere between 15 and 20. What does that tell you? Think about it a little bit. Isaac is willingly allowing himself to be tied and probably climbing up on the altar and laying on the wood by himself. I'm going to be 52 in four days. Gavin just turned 24 yesterday. I can tell you this. If he didn't want me to tie him up and throw him on a table, it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> Isaac is showing his faith here. He's allowing himself to be placed on the altar. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. This is the third time Abraham has said, here I am, in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God. How does he know that? Seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. 
as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham demonstrated that he was willing to sacrifice anything, that he would give everything, including what was most precious. When I read this, I can't help tearing up a little bit. Can you imagine what Abraham must have felt in his heart when his son climbed up on that altar and when he took the knife and he was about to sacrifice his son and he heard God's voice and he turned around and he saw the ram? Imagine what that felt like. Friends, when you read the scripture, don't read it like a cold, old document. Understand what's going on here. Abraham's son has just been given back to him. But he showed that he was willing to give everything for God. And God saw that and provided. That's what that means right there. God has given a new name here. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord sees and provides. And from that day forward, that's what they called that spot. Every time they were traveling, they would go by it. They would say, hey, look, there's Jehovah Jireh, where God saw Abraham's faith and he provided. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. This is not a new promise. This is the same promise from Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. But God confirms to him what he had already promised to Abraham that he would do. And by the way, God did that. Abraham and Sarah only had the one son. It was only Isaac. You say, well, that's a pretty inauspicious beginning for a family that's going to number like the sands of the seashore. I mean, couldn't have they have done better than that? I mean, Melody's family had eight kids in it. Couldn't you at least had eight or ten kids to, you know, kind of get things rolling a little bit? They had one son. And Isaac had two sons. This is slow getting off the ground. But Jacob, Isaac's son, had 12 sons. And about 400 years later, there were a million and a half of them. God fulfilled his promise. So why did God do this? Why would he have asked Abraham to do this? Well, once again, like we have already a couple of times in Genesis, we turn to Hebrews to answer the question, The question was, would Abraham choose to love the promised son more than the God who made the promise? You get that? That was the test. 
Would Abraham love the promised son more than the God who made the promise? Hebrews eleven seventeen gives us some incredible insight. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named Abraham received the promises. That's a fantastic word there. It means, it means to welcome or to receive with gladness, to receive with open arms. God said, here's the promise, Abraham. And Abraham said, thank you, Lord. I accept that promise. I believe it. He received it with an open heart. And notice that he was, he was in the act of offering up his son. There was an active demonstration of Abraham's faith, not just words. Why? Because he knew what God had promised and he believed it. Now, listen to this testimony of Abraham's faith. The very next verse, Hebrews 11, verse 19. Listen to what it says. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's faith considered that God was able to do anything that he needed to do. The word considered there is one of our Greek words. We don't have time to do a big review, but you know them all, I know, right? Homologumina, Sikakopatheo, Praso, Charis, Logizomai. We've talked about this before. It means he just logically looked at what God had done and he came to the conclusion that God would still keep his promise. Abraham took what he knew about God. He thought about it. He reasoned it out. He added it all up. And he came to this conclusion. God can do anything. God can even raise Isaac from the dead. That's how strong Abraham's faith was. He believed that even if God did have him sacrifice Isaac, even if he did do that, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's, that's a lot of faith. God doesn't make a promise he won't fulfill. That's what Abraham was thinking. I'm going to obey because God's promise will not fail. That's incredible faith. And I don't know about you, but it's more than I can even wrap my mind around to comprehend being in this situation. Now remember the phrase that I gave you earlier that I wanted you to think about? The extent of your sacrifice reflects the depth of your faith. So the question for us is this. What am I willing, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to obey God? That was the question that Abraham was being asked. That's the question that you and I are asked. What are we willing to sacrifice in order to obey God? Are we willing to sacrifice our time, 
Are we willing to sacrifice a little bit of money? Are we willing to sacrifice our energy? Are we willing to sacrifice our family time? Are we willing even to sacrifice our family itself? Now let me ask you this question because I know this is, it's difficult for us to process. Let me ask you this. Why are you willing to sacrifice certain things and not others? Because I know most of you here, not, maybe not all of you, I don't know all of you, but most of you here have trusted Christ as your Savior. And most of you here on some level make sacrifices every week, perhaps even every day, to be obedient to God and what he is asking you to do. So it's not that you can't sacrifice it's not that you don't want to sacrifice or are not able to sacrifice, but why are you willing to sacrifice certain things and not others? Well, let me ask you, answer the question for you. What I think the reason is when I look at my own heart. You're willing to sacrifice certain things because you know you can survive without them. Let me explain. You're willing to sacrifice the time to come to church on Sunday morning. And, and many of you, those 30 or 35 people every Sunday who are serving like we were talking about in our service teams. And you're willing to come and you're willing to serve in that capacity. Perhaps because you know you can survive without that time. Well, I can take that much time. <laughs> And I couldn't serve twice in one week because, you know, I got other things to do. I got my work to do or I got my family to take care of or whatever. Well, I can give, I can give this amount because I know I can survive on what's left. When we give what we know we can survive without, I would suggest to you that that's not truly faith. The inverse is also true. Why are we unwilling to sacrifice certain things? Typically, we're unwilling to sacrifice certain things because we believe that we cannot survive without them. Well, I could go to church on Sunday morning, but I can't commit to a small group during the week either because that's too much time. I have too many other things that I need to do or... I could come to church, but I don't have time to serve on a team, or I can put a little money in the offering, but I can't put this much, or I can do this, but I can't do that. I can help this person, but I can't help that person, because I can't survive without that time or money or whatever it is that God is asking you to give. So the question becomes for us, like it was for Abraham, what do you love more, God or what he gives you? Unfortunately, we have a tendency to become like Sarah was when she came up with a brilliant plan to have Abraham sleep with her servant to provide a child. We always want to do with ourselves rather than wait for God to fulfill his promise. 
John Owen, who was a famous Puritan theologian several hundred years ago, said this, the ultimate object of Abraham's faith was the power of God. So the question for us is this, do you believe that God is able to do anything? Not, do you believe that God's able to do a lot? Do you believe that he is able to do everything? Do you believe that if you were to sacrifice everything, that God would provide the way that he has promised? Has God promised to provide for us? Yes, he has. I could show you many, many verses if we had the time. But do you really believe that if you sacrificed everything, that he would provide in that way? Do you believe that if you, you took that extra time to help your neighbor, that he would provide the time you needed to do everything else on your list? Do you believe that if he was asking you to give generously beyond what you thought you could bear, that if you did that in obedience, that he would provide for your finances in another way? Do you believe that God, if God spoke to you and said, I want you to leave family and home and friends, and I want you to go to Turkey with Holly and share the gospel with people who have no idea who Jesus is, do you believe that God could provide for all the things that you would have to give up in order to go and be obedient? The Lord sees and provides. So our question as we close this here is this, what are you withholding from God? God had tested Abraham in so many ways, but there was one final test. There was one thing that Abraham loved more than anything else in life, and that was this boy. What's the one thing that you love more than anything else? Are you willing to trust God with that one thing? We need to be so thankful this morning that God withheld nothing from us. In fact, he gave his very own son, his one and only son, so that we could have life. It's very appropriate that we talk about Abraham and Isaac on a day that we celebrate communion together because Abraham and Isaac are a type, a picture of the father and the son. Christ who willingly bore the tree on his back like Isaac willingly carried the wood for the sacrifice. Christ who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross just like Isaac allowed himself to be tied and to be put on the altar to be sacrificed. Perfect submission and perfect redemption. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord sees and provides. God saw your need, my need, and he provided through Jesus Christ. And we want to give thanks today for his incredible gift, for his incredible sacrifice. In the cup holder beside you, you'll find a, a little packet there with a bit of a wafer and a little cup. These are mere symbols of what we give thanks for and celebrate today because we believe that the actual body of Christ was nailed to the cross for us. And we believe that his actual blood was shed for us. And so when we eat that little piece of wafer, Christ himself said, this is a symbol of my body. 
This is a demonstration that you believe that I was offered for you. And the cup is a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for us, that we believe that the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. So I want to invite you this morning. The band is going to lead us in a song. And as they do that, I would ask that you would just for a moment contemplate the sacrifice of God's one and only Son, the Son He loved, so that you and I might have life. When you're ready, after you've given thanks, you can go ahead and and eat the bread and drink the cup, and then join us as we sing this last song in closing. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. As we remember today, I pray that our hearts would be full of gratitude for your grace extended to us. In Christ's name. Amen.